Welcome to the AfriNews Podcast. My name is Mbazo Jeremiah, and I am the host of AfriNews Podcast. On this podcast, we make different kinds of um, uh, contributions and um, deliberations and conversation or different aspects of nuclear technology as it affects the continent of Africa and beyond. So on today's episode of the AfriNews Podcast, Interesting guest, Brian Matthews, who is from Canada. Tell us a bit about the Bitcoin mining space and how it interfaces nuclear power. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Brian? Hi, thanks for having me. This is a very exciting opportunity to talk to some individuals and to an audience that is vastly different than I'm familiar with here in Canada. As for myself, I work in the Canadian nuclear industry. I operate and maintain a laboratory that supports safety and reactor research for the CANDU nuclear-powered reactor fleet. Basically, we monitor the corrosion in the pressure tubes, and then we report that to the utilities, and that determines the health and longevity of the pressure tubes that are used in the CANDU nuclear-powered reactors. Um, and then the other thing I do in my spare time is I've taken an interest in um, Bitcoin and specifically the Bitcoin mining technology that uses an algorithm that requires a lot of electricity to perform that computing tech that and, um, yeah, sorry, um, requires a lot of electricity to perform that computing operation. So nuclear power can leverage this technology as a large flexible load to provide an anchor tenant to nuclear power deployments, ensuring that there's always going to be demand for the power wherever we build a nuclear reactor of whatever size from several gigawatts, the, the traditional reactors that we're familiar with being built around the world and the smaller, small modular reactors that we intended to deploy to smaller markets that are going to open up a wider range of applications for nuclear power. And I believe that having a large flexible load and used as an anchor will be a valuable asset to expanding the range that we can deploy these nuclear powered reactors without as much um, investment risk and economic risk when, uh, when, it's, when you're trying to deploy a large power asset without certain consumer base it either doesn't get invested in or it puts a lot of costs on the ratepayers and the consumers in that local area that are paying for that power asset. So yeah, Thank there's you a lot of interest much. in this very narrow niche and it's very exciting to see all the developments happening. It's quite interesting. Uh, as you were talking about the um, uh, the Bitcoin mining and how nuclear power interfaces to it. You talked about the economics and how people are able to afford energy. And this is a very interesting aspect in Africa, you know, uh, of the uh, several millions of people who are without electricity. The people who are without it in Africa con uh, constitute a larger percentage of this, um, of this, uh, number. And, um, most parts of Africa are still energy poor. Uh, we are not talking about energy um, transition yet. We want to still talk about energy sufficiency first. 
because now people are talking about, uh, especially in the advanced world, how they can advance to uh, clean or green energy. But the good thing about nuclear energy is that it gives you the best of both worlds, giving you both energy sufficiency and also making you transit in a very clean form if you want to target that way. So this brings me to kind of ask you about um, how your journey has been. Like you just give us, giving us a rundown about uh, how like this aspect of uh, uh, Bitcoin mining interfaces with nuclear. What caught your like? What caught your interest in this um, aspect of um, uh, endeavor? Like Bitcoin mining, nuclear engineering. What's the parallel, or what's like the the meeting point, if that's the right word to say. Oh, because I know from the Bitcoin mining aspect that it requires a lot of energy. The ASIC chips that is used to mine the Bitcoin and uh, a lot of energy is involved. I remember my professor telling me about the experience of some Nigerians mining uh, Bitcoin, how they have to go get a lot of, um, they spend a lot on diesel generators because uh, we are energy deficient, the lack of electricity here in Nigeria. So they get to spend a lot of money on uh, off-grid power sources like the generating sets. So uh, considering the large energy resource that is needed to mine Bitcoin, how does nuclear and Bitcoin mining come to kind of... Um, have a carry along because uh, people talk about uh, off-grid energy and they quickly think of wind, renewables and the rest of them. How does nuclear come to play or come to parallel or have a meeting point with Bitcoin mining? Please, Ryan. Yeah, that is a big question. It's like, where do these cross over? And what I would say is that the Bitcoin miners consume a lot of energy and then nuclear power is one of its biggest liabilities is that it can generate too much power and so much so that that often will result in negative prices or having to curtail their load, which has negative effects on like on core and the turbine. It's, it's, they would prefer to operate everything at 100% and not have to follow the loads if they don't have to because they can make better economics if they're able to sell more electrons to more customers. So the way that I see this crossing is that you're not always going to have demand for that electricity where it is locally produced because electricity is a very tricky asset to manage because it must be consumed somewhere as it's being generated. It has to be kept at that supply and demand balance perfectly. So grid operators, their job is to ensure that they have enough generation sources online of like sufficient demand, of sufficient volume, of sufficient like ramping up rates so that they can reliably and quickly and predictably manage how much electricity is going to be using in a given place with what they have available within their operating jurisdictions. So like I'm more familiar with uh, jurisdictions like Ontario, in, up here in Canada and a few of the American uh, locations like Texas is a really interesting use case to see how Bitcoin mining is being used across that grid and how their spot price can vary depending on the time of the day, depending on the temperature, depending on the rate of solar that they're getting, the rate of wind that they're coming, um, whether or not the uh, prices of natural gas are 
available at the time with their, they're going to have peaker plants all over the place prepared to spin up at a moment's notice. So there they have, that's a service that grids will often pay utilities extra for to just be available to turn on and they'll be paid the premium for doing so when the grid is at really high demand. So I've heard from like secondhand places in Africa that for the most part, electricity demand is fairly sufficient and abundant where many of the cities are. But as soon as you start to get rural and have grids and lots of dependency on diesel generation, some places might get lucky and have uh, some substantial hydropower resources. But from what I'm familiar with is, is it's very tricky to build the infrastructure that's required to transmit electricity out to like a very disparate rural population if you are not going to have the, the sufficient demand that is what the investors say the, like that the loan guarantees require in order to build these projects in the first place so I, I see Bitcoin as, as a very good crossroads between that, like especially for nuclear power. Like I, nuclear power is at the top of my list, but I'm seeing evidence and examples of places in Africa that are using the strategy already for micro scale hydro projects and uh, some solar wind operations where that's available. But there's a company that's called Gridless Compute, and what they're doing is they're, they're identifying like small, like less than a megawatt, sometimes not even a hundred megawatt communities where there's only like 30 residences using this power, but they aren't going to use enough to justify the full capacity, building full capacity of what these, um, this hydro dam could uh, generate. So what they're doing is they're offering to use Bitcoin miners to consume that excess capacity, whether it's only like 30 kilowatts to like 100 kilowatts, that's four or five computers. And then they're able to spread out the, just the upfront fixed capital of building that power infrastructure across a large wider base of customers. And then one of the more interesting capabilities that these Bitcoin miners have is that it can be programmed to underclock themselves so start consuming less electricity when there is a higher demand priority coming from other users on the grid which when you start doing stuff like that it, it can be dramatically changing for people in these communities because now now you can reliably have a light bulb now you, you're not uh, stuck to cooking with with wood or other like uh, very high pollutant uh, fuel sources then you can your children can start studying, you'll have more really reliable refrigeration, and all of these things start to compound on each other. You can, you can irrigate, irrigate better, so now the local uh, cattle herdsman is able to get a better flock of cows, or herd of cows, and then that grows and he starts growing a better business, and that supports the local community, and it just has these second and third and fourth order ripple effects. Once you are able to get that just reliable, affordable power to communities that have never experienced it before, like there's opportunities for small scale projects like that all across the world. It just requires the right market incentive to unlock it. So I'm very excited about where these two technologies can go when we start getting into a much larger scale deployments. But it's beautiful to see that it can be done at any scale. That is, yeah. Um, 
Can't wait. That illustration about um, the routine itself. That's a part of because when people think of um, toxicity against the nature, um, they, they don't really, uh, especially in Africa, they don't really care. They, they just want to turn on the bulb and let the light shoot. And then when they go to switch, lock their devices, and then they have like the power of Uh, it not hearing you very matter. well. Just yeah, yeah. Does it? Hello, can you hear me now? Hello. Yeah, no, that's better. Okay, so away from the mic, it gets okay. Okay, yeah. Sorry about that. So I was trying to illustrate the fact that when people like talk about electricity, especially in Africa, and also if by extension can also be to the rest part of the world, people. Uh, on a general scale, just want to plug their devices to the electricity sources or just turn on the light and then have the light on without bothering much to know where the electricity com comes from. And this uh, kind of um, talk, uh, brings me to the aspect of um, the nuclear technology that uh, does this load following from your explanation. You are like talking about... Um, the gridless electricity that's kind of feast on the extra um, kind of um, electricity that comes from whatever sources that um, the Bitcoin mining is connected to. So like in this place, we don't have enough energy, uh, let alone sparing it. But because of this, the unique nature of um, electricity generation, uh, where you have to have some kind of transmission from the generating points to where it is being used. So you have some losses. Uh, so to curtail that loss, I think uh, we are trying to talk about uh, the Bitcoin mining uh, kind of using uh, those electricity that would have been lost to transmission uh, to mine some Bitcoin. So why do we have to um, use this energy, this excess energy generated to mine Bitcoin and not other fiat currencies or maybe other kind of um, uh, cryptos? Why Bitcoin? Why are you particular about Bitcoin? And what's the unique feature of this um, this um, kind of um, resource that you are talking about? Perhaps you might want to give us a brief uh, breakdown of uh, Bitcoin and why is it important in our days today? Yeah, that definitely would be a good idea because Bitcoin is one of those things that uh, just about everybody's heard about it, but very few people actually understand what it is, what it's capable of doing, and what benefit it might provide to humanity. And right now, what many people have seemed to decide that it is and it's very useful for is as a money that's truly decentralized and global and would enable me to send an exchange value to you right here just as easily as sending a text message without any counterparty between the two of us. That means we don't have to go through my banking system, your banking system, and all the other steps in the way that that would take and result in an, any number of fees that are associated with that transaction being taken off by some middleman or rent, rent seeker. Um, so that's definitely one use case for it. And then it's just a native token that can be used on the internet. It was born on the internet. It's a great store of value because it holds properties, money, that it's um, it's divisible, it's portable, scarce, it's 
recognizable. It's just growing use cases. It's got a very, very good, um, as a medium of exchange, it's growing in a lot more uses that people are starting to recognize across the world. And where I am, we've had a fairly stable financial system for as long as I remember. I grew up, everything seemed normal, but now things start are starting to be stressed at the edges because there's a lot of debt piled on a lot of debts. Um, but it's hard for me to even like comprehend the struggles that have gone on in the other nations that are further and further away from like the core of like the global financial system, which is the United States. And it seems that the further away you are from the US dollar, the worse off the effects of its constant dilution of value will affect you and your local currencies. This, yeah, re reading up on how a lot of the the uh, the development lending and the uh, what's it the strategic no I shouldn't remember that word but it's uh, where the, the structural readjustment that's what I was looking for oh, that okay. gets imposed on a lot of these countries yeah especially by the IMF for, yeah. yeah exchange for these loans yeah yeah they yeah. will have these criteria that now this country needs to rearrange its economy in order to support an export market so that they can earn US dollars to pay off those loans because they can't pay those loans in their own local currencies. And if they try to, they all end up like Zimbabwe in hyperinflating their currency into oblivion and then nobody knows where anything is worth anymore and it just ends up reverting to like strange barter economies or people just find whatever works for them in black markets. Because it results in hauling around wheelbarrows for a full of currencies with ten zeros on them. <laughs> yeah, that money in the hands of humans is mm. it, it. It doesn't seem to go well unless there is some tangible tether, to some energy flow in the world, and Bitcoin can tap into any energy flow that we can get our hands on, whether it's nuclear, hydro, wind, solar, geothermal. If we can generate electrons with it, we can mine Bitcoin with it. And that is the key distinguishing feature between Bitcoin being used as a money and the completely self-referential, dis kind of disconnected from reality fiat currencies that we've been using for at least the last 50 years since the last vestiges of what was the gold standard was completely eliminated. And then you see examples of, of nations that propose returning to gold standards very shortly afterwards. They are destabilized and not in a good place anymore. So it's, it is tough to hear the stories of people who have went through these events, but they learning experiences for us all to uh, understand forces that we are up against. When, well, uh, you know, money coming, is coming from... Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I get your point about the description of um, how, like, universally applicable Bitcoins are and how they will change the whole uh, space of independence and how nations can prosper with Bitcoins. But given the traditional societies where we find ourselves and the regulations that exist already, it's kind of difficult to find a country that will just relinquish its uh, central banking system to <laughs> to Bitcoin, you know. You know, Nigeria, for example, I think some few years ago, 
uh, we're allowing uh, like those exchanges using some uh, special kind of wallet. I mean, uh, after some time, they found that uh, it was being used as a backdoor for some corrupt practices. So they had to ban the operations and even the legal ones had to also fall victim as well. So some ways of getting money from different parts of the world became a bit more challenging, you know. Uh, so um, this brings me to the question uh, of an event that happened uh, in the just recently concluded um, summit they had in France where the president of Kenya, uh, President Ruto, was talking to uh, President Emmanuel Macron at the summit uh, about um, uh, independence of Africa, you know, why Africa needs to like uh, be given a place at the table, you know, to have a share and and to have its independence at the same time, you know. Uh, uh, this brings me to the point of um, how this um, will bring this paradigm shift that Africa needs uh, to gain its independence and also contribute uh, as uh, at a level playing ground uh, with the committee of nation at the same level uh, 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 and commensurate at the same time because when it comes to the table of sharing uh, each person we have to kind of make contribution according to its size and make profits uh, that is commensurate with its size uh, as against what is already existing as you said those predatory loans that uh, imf gives that leads to structural changes in the country nigeria is currently experiencing a very big change uh, uh, given the uh, current subsidy re uh, removal on the petroleum product that has brought uh, uh, a kind of big hardship on the general public but um we need a, a paradigm shift that will make us begin to think in a new way. So I wonder, how will this Bitcoin mining and also the energy that um, kind of powers it bring about uh, this kind of paradigm shift in the way that we do things uh, in terms of uh, financial management, maybe loan and all this? How can it bring, bring about justice? How can it bring about uh, kind of fair play? Uh, on the scheme of things when it comes to financial and global uh, participation in, in the in the larger scheme of things if uh, I mean like how can it bring Africa uh, up on this um, kind of platform to play on a level playing um, field with other committee of nations because just like you had mentioned earlier, it, it levels the playing field. Everybody has to play by the same game, the same rules. And there is no wise group of 12 men that just go into a room and tell us what the value of money is and how the rest of the world just has to live with that. It's a constant rule change whenever they, they, they break their own rules and then they change the rules to favor themselves, but never to favor in any tip way that the scales get tipped towards the little person or the producer. But with the Bitcoin, it flips everything on its head and it changes the, the, the value of being extractive versus the value of being productive. Like for the longest time, like Africa has the potential to produce everything that you need for yourselves and be a huge exporter to the rest of the world. But the way that seems structured now is that Many of these nations that have been preyed upon by these predatory loans, 
it's all about extracting as much value as possible. And Bitcoin gives that power back to people that produce things and it diminishes the ability to ex extract that value in a way that you are required to do the work and create something of value that people want to exchange their Bitcoin with you for. Like if other nations want to trade with you at that level, they, they will have to offer a better good or better service than what is available on the rest of the market. It's going to completely change the structure of, of everything, just rampant consumerism. Everything's made in, in, in a way that's planned to um, planned obsolescence. So you're always having to, these breaking objects. And then we don't even think about it here at first world. We just we break things and we just get new things. Like there's no more ethos of, of trying to buy and build high quality products. It's, it's been completely wiped out of our culture and it is really enthusiastic. I see the enthusiasm in all of these other young nations that they, they've gone through a different path than we, and they still respect a lot of those values. And when things start to shift and tip to those that are yeah. willing to put in the work yeah. to generate something of quality. Yeah. I think a lot of that's going to tip towards Africa because like, sure. we, we've lost our way in the West and we, we don't um, appreciate. I, I don't think you lost the way. How, You're how still we got showing to where we way. are. You're still showing the way. We are still learning from you guys. But oh, there's, <laughs> there's there's parts of it but like the one example yeah i want to stress is just as a, a country that just threw it all to the wind and is experimenting with bitcoin and like that's el salvador like a lot of other countries yeah you do have your own central banks and they're going to be put up resistance but el salvador was only using the u.s dollar they had lost their central bank it was uh yeah, shut down like well over a decade ago they haven't had their own currency for some time and they came out of years of civil war and then gangland war and then they finally elected a president that just said enough is enough and they turned everything around it seems like overnight like i don't know how much you know about el salvador but the headlines were basically it was the murder capital of the world wow. more than five years ago and now there are more murders and violent crimes happening in major canadian and american cities than are happening all throughout el salvador because they had a leader with a vision and and he had the like the intent to pull it off and it's it's a bold move with the bitcoin piece of it because like a lot of what he did was just actually start to enforce the law and clean up a lot of the gang issues that their country was having but the bitcoin thing is attracting a lot of tourism it's attracting a lot of development it's attracting a lot of um, educators it's attracting a lot of canadians and americans and australians that, that were not happy with the way the state of our own countries wow it's interesting that it's it's providing a place it's not it's it's providing providing somewhere where people are fleeing to as opposed to fleeing from so it, from, yeah it's a really interesting paradigm and it looks like it's working very well and i hope it succeeds and it does appear that there are smaller examples popping up here and there throughout the world and they're providing an example that many african nations could could try and emulate like there's lots of talk um like 
Ghana hosts the African Bitcoin Conference. It's going to be yeah. I was going to talk about year, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, there, there's a lot of interest in these in this technology, and, and a lot of the African nations have already been meeting with Bukele and his finance minister and foreign ministers to yeah. discuss different strategies that they can implement themselves. But it goes in against a lot of the IMF policies and the contingencies that are attached to taking those loans from those entities. So it's a risk, but it's also an opportunity cost. And I hope more follow suit because there's uh, a lot of potential for these nations to do well with this technology before the rest of the wealthy world catches on and we get to the top of the S-curve. Yeah, I hope so too as well because when it comes to the story of the the brown bread and the white bread, uh, there's this struggle kind of that um, catches up with the public and also the elites. Sometimes the elite think that uh, the public think that what the elites are taking is better. When the br white bread came up. Uh, they wanted the white bread, but it was a business model to catch the people because it was e more easily mass produced. But the brown bread was more nutritious and it was what the public had. So hopefully that um, case doesn't come in the Bitcoin issue. So uh, to wrap it up, uh, we've um, kind of had a conversation about... Um, nuclear energy and bitcoin bitcoin is um kind of currency that is decentralized and can be used uh to make transactions in different parts of the world uh, in a very simultaneous way so um i kind of wonder as a last word what would you like want to advise uh, maybe a country that is uh still struggling to have its energy um kind of um uh, maybe energy uh, provision met yet uh, because like Nigeria for example and most African countries we are still energy poor and we are not yet talking about uh, energy transition uh, climate change is real uh, we need to have more energy Canada for example has a lot of energy but um, and it can lend its excesses to Bitcoin mining unlike Nigeria and most African countries that don't have en enough energy so what can we do to tap from this great gold mine that is in the horizon? In summary. Well, yeah. <laughs> in the meantime, <laughs> just look for any opportunities where you can. There's definitely going to be a community of local Bitcoiners wherever you are. They're popping up everywhere. You will have no problem finding a meetup. Okay. And they will be able, if you have knowledge of places where they're there is an opportunity for something like this that can help finance a small electrical infrastructure uh, project. The, the people are out there that want to help you do this and develop these technologies. So, right, yeah, re re reaching out to your local Bitcoin community is a great start. Um, learning about power systems wherever you can, just learn about Learn about Bitcoin. Like, I don't even try to start by telling people to, to go out and buy Bitcoin, especially like under your circumstances. People have enough trouble just saving for what they need today and tomorrow that saving anything is, yeah. is a challenge. But even if you start with just tiny amounts, that 
can make all the difference to your future self. Like, cool. And that's that's where you start to just not have zero. You can just a few cents worth is a great place yeah. to start and just learn what it is and how you can use it. Because I guarantee everybody in this world is going to find a use case for it sooner or later, especially with the tumultuous times that it appears that we are going through at a global scale right now. All right. I think if we can get to the 30s, I think if we can get to the 30s intact, everyone's going to be all right. Thank you very much, that's, Ryan. That's my hope Thank you so much, Ryan. It's been a great time with you in this episode of the Afternoon Podcast. I hope we will have more time to talk about the summit that is coming up in Ghana, uh, where we'll delve more into how the nuclear community can contribute to the Bitcoin mining community. So till then, I hope you keep your ears glued and stay tuned to the Afternoon Podcast. Thank you so much, Ryan, uh, until we talk next time. I appreciate Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah.